You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Germany will hold elections Sunday, and the Russian cyber operators seem quiet. Too quiet. Switzerland and Singapore both report sustaining state-sponsored cyber espionage attempts. ISIS howls for its lone wolves to hit soft targets. The Equifax breach news isn't getting any better. Cisco finds a back door in an fast security product. Our mine hackers hit Vivo to redress an insult delivered over LinkedIn. I'm Dave Fittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, September 18th, 2017. As Germany prepares for Sunday's federal elections, the country remains on high alert for last-minute Russian election meddling. This is especially true after reports of vulnerabilities in the nation's electronic voting systems led people to fear manipulation of the count and after episodes of apparent attempts at influence operations earlier this summer. But so far, with the election less than a week away... The mystery is that Russian influence operations and attempts at disruption have fallen off dramatically, so the dog isn't barking. It's unknown whether this is because Russian involvement in the election is a myth. Basically, this is the official Russian position, well represented in the media by RT, but taken seriously by few. Or because German security measures have been remarkably effective during the electoral season's endgame, or for some other reason. Switzerland's defense ministry has announced that it detected and blocked state-sponsored attempts at intruding into the ministry's networks. The incident, said to have occurred in July, isn't attributed to any specific nation, but sources suggest that it showed similarity to Turla activity. Turla has been connected by many security researchers with Russian espionage services. Singapore's government has also said that an unnamed agency was probed by a foreign cyber espionage campaign late last year. Sources don't name the state suspected, but said that it was one that had hitherto not been particularly active in the East Asia and Pacific region. ISIS has claimed responsibility for Friday's fizzled but damaging bombing in London's tube, The ISIS soldier suspected in the attack is in custody, apparently tracked down in large part because security cameras, practically ubiquitous in London, followed him and his distinctive red hat away from the scene of the attack. Last week, officials of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security said that recent hurricanes had raised U.S. vulnerability to terrorist attack. Resources are stretched thin, law enforcement and first responders are coping with damaged infrastructure, 
and large concentrations of potential victims are crowded into necessarily weakly secured emergency location sites, and ISIS appears primed to take advantage of the natural disasters. The caliphate has been howling to its lone wolves over Twitter to point out the opportunity they have to strike. Law enforcement authorities are calling the chatter more aspirational than operational, but they're watching it closely. ISIS continues to lose ground in its core areas of operation. Indeed, the physical territory it can be said to control has largely vanished under military pressure. Even ISIS rivals in the region, like the more jihadist than ISIS hardcore represented by Hayat Tarim al-Sham, are fragmenting under external pressure and internal dissent. This seems to have had the effect of causing jihadist extremism to metastasize outside the Middle East. General Joseph Fotel, commander of U.S. Central Command, said last week that this was to be expected. In his closing keynote at last week's Billington Cybersecurity Summit, he said, quote, As we've taken away the physical caliphate, a virtual caliphate has arisen. We need to defeat ISIS in cyberspace, end quote. He emphasized that ISIS was active mainly in attempts to shape the information environment, not in traditional hacking. Thus, its concentration on inspiration and the perceived necessity of finding some effective counter-messaging. In the meantime, vigilance online would seem to be in order. Effects of the Equifax breach continue to expand, as do investigations. Some 400,000 individuals in the UK are now known to have been affected, as have an unknown number of Canadians. Canadian authorities have opened an investigation, as have at least 31 U.S. states. The incident is now explained unambiguously as exploitation of a known but unpatched Apache Struts vulnerability. Equifax has attracted generally bad reviews not only for a failure to patch, but even more so for its slow disclosure and less than fully successful incident response. The public communications aspects of that response have been notably poorly executed. The company has been punished in the stock market, with its share price down sharply since the breach was disclosed on September 14th. That drop may have reached at least a temporary bottom today, as the stock, as of this writing, appears to be trading sideways. The effects of the breach are being felt elsewhere in the sector, as Representative Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat from New York, has asked the CEOs of rival credit reporting agencies Experian and TransUnion for details of their own security measures. Congressional dissatisfaction with the Credit Bureau security seems clearly bipartisan. Just awful is how the Republican chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee characterized some of the poor digital hygiene revealed under the scrutiny prompted by the breach. Representative Greg Walden, a Republican from Oregon, was commenting specifically on the use of admin as the password on administrative accounts, but he also offered a foreshadowing of what's likely to come next. Quote, You can't stop stupidity. You can't legislate against it, but you can hold people accountable for it. End quote. Cisco reports that a vast CC Cleaner security product, version 5.33, was infected with a multi-stage backdoor, apparently introduced in the supply chain. Cisco's Talos Research Group observed suspicious activity from the CC Cleaner app, and upon investigation determined that when the app was downloaded, its installation executable was signed with a valid digital signature. CC Cleaner, however, wasn't the only application that arrived in the download. It was accompanied by a malicious payload that included both a domain generation algorithm and hard-coded command and control functionality. 
Talos reads this as an indication that somewhere along the line the development or signing process was compromised. The security company recommends that users of the Avast product either restore to its pre-August 15th state or upgrade to version 5.34. We're spending tomorrow with our friends and neighbors at the Johns Hopkins University as we attend the fourth annual Cybersecurity Conference for Executives. Watch for live tweets tomorrow and coverage this week. We launched Research Saturday this weekend, a new weekly podcast that concentrates on current research in cybersecurity. The first edition was a conversation about the Cobian rat with Deepan Desai, Senior Director of Security Research and Operations at Zscaler. We hope you'll give it a listen. Finally, the phony gray hats of our mine have gone after Vivo, breaching the video service and offering to leak over three terabytes of stolen data, most of which strike observers as fairly anodyne, neither sensitive nor discreditable nor even valuable. It was, however, a breach, as Vivo acknowledged, and that in itself is embarrassing. The motive for the attack seems to be petty. It's apparently revenge for the disrespect and consequent wounded self-regard our mind says it suffered from a Vivo employee who was rude to them on LinkedIn. So when we say phony gray hats with petty motives, we mean that in the nicest and most respectful way possible. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to welcome a new partner to the CyberWire podcast. Chris Poulin is a principal at Booz Allen Hamilton Strategic Innovations Group. He heads up their Internet of Things security group at Booz Allen. Chris, welcome to the show. 
Oh, thanks for having me. Well, as we do when we welcome someone new, we want to start off with just uh, some introductions. So why don't we uh, learn a little bit about you? Why don't you tell us uh, about your career path? What led you to cybersecurity? Ah, okay. So it's interesting. I will say, uh, as an inflection point, about uh, five years ago, the thing that my entire career had been waiting for was when information security converged with physical security. Mm. Um, so I actually started life in the U.S. Air Force way back when working on satellite systems and under the National Reconnaissance Office, which you couldn't say back then, by the way. <laughs> and then I left the, de the Defense Department and uh, started my own business, uh, grew that, so information security. And then I went to work for um, a startup, Q1 Labs, who makes a security information and event management system that was eventually bought by IBM. And uh, I actually thought that I was not going to enjoy being part of a 450,000 person company, but I realized being an entrepreneur that you are effectively in a country that is uh, under an organizational name of IBM. Hmm. So I struck out and uh, sort of made my way. And that's effectively when the IoT came around. And so I started to work in connected cars and also taking a little bit of machine uh, learning or cognitive computing, as IBM likes to call it. Um, and then after about five years, I saw a good opportunity to jump to Booz Allen Hamilton and uh, help to build up their capabilities in the what we're calling connected products, which is effectively connected cars medical devices, building controls, um, so the cyber aspect of that for the commercial markets as well as some defense market. Uh, my particular focus is commercial despite my entry into uh, the de uh, Department of Defense way back early in my career. Um, and I also work with the industrial control systems cyber team as well as some of the machine learning folks over here at Booz Allen Hamilton. So I'm sort of a master of everything, but I excel where physical and uh, digital come together. So what's a typical day for you? What, what are you doing on a daily basis there? Uh, so, well, I have a mix of management and technical responsibilities. Hmm. Uh, and so there's sort of a three-legged stool that my responsibilities take the form of. And so part of it is actually working with what we call our Dark Labs team. We have a team of engineers who actually take the tradecraft from some of our defense work, and they bring it over into um, our Dark Lab. And they'll do things like uh, take apart cars and try to find weaknesses in them. Um, they're very good at taking firmware and extracting it and reversing it. So. Um, you know, it was funny because there was one engineer a long time ago who told me that he wasn't particularly good at writing code, but he was really good at reversing it. Hmm. And so it, t it turns out that we have a fair amount of people who actually do that kind of work. And interestingly, by the way, they also, um, because of our defense work, they have been involved in not only the defensive side, which I'm used to on the commercial side, but also, you know, offensive tradecraft as well. So they get to see it from both sides of that the coin. And then I also manage, you know, the work that's part of my job is to move things around and lead people and um, a little bit more banal, but at the same time, you get to see the uh, fruits of your labor. Working with the, the uh, commercial teams and clients is sort of another aspect of that. Uh, because you always have to keep in touch with what clients are asking for. And then the last thing I do a fair amount of, as you can see from this particular podcast, is I do a lot of evangelism. So I go out and speak and talk and try to take both what we're learning from our labs and from our clients and bring them out to the general public to inform them with as little fear, uncertainty, and doubt as possible. That's sort <laughs> of my bugaboo. I despise fear and uncertainty is what I call it, by the way. I'm not sure where doubt fits in there, but yes, fear and uncertainty. All right. Chris Poulin, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.